Welcome to Sport After Dark, your weekly sports podcast hosted by myself, Michael Coleman and Lewis Blaine. On tonight's podcast, Wenger's finally leaving Arsenal, who will be the oh-so-important replacement. Salah scoops Player of the Year award, we delve into the Team of the Year picks. Khan is back with a bang, what's next for him? He's not the only one who's back. The self-proclaimed Gypsy King Tyson Fury also returns with his eyes on regaining his throne. Another first-time winner on the PGA Tour, we review what happened in Texas, whilst Alexander, Alexander Levy was victorious on the Euro Tour, boosting his chances of Ryder Cup selection. Across the Atlantic, the unofficial start to the NFL season is here. We have an NFL guru joining us to discuss the draft. Can our winning ways continue? Find out in our betting corner. Lewis, good afternoon slash evening. <laughs> good afternoon, Michael. We are... On episode three, it's and going we're better. Making good improvements each week. Yeah, big improvements good. from uh, last week was very good. Very happy with it. Yeah, big improvements from episode one to episode two, and um, only a couple of minor blimps last week, which we'll work on this week and iron out yet again. So we'll um, we may as well get started onto the football. Here's Harry Kane. Kane goes for it. Red in Russia and Manchester United's joy is unconfined. I don't know, Jeff, has it? I must have missed that. Red card. And then Ronaldo! Oh! What a oh! goal by Cristiano Ronaldo! Sensational! A modern day football miracle. Premier League champions 2016. The amazing Leicester City! Aguero! I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. Germany are champions of the world. So, we'll kick off with um, Arsene Wenger leaving. Big news this week. Out of nowhere, really. Absolutely. Um, I can't say it wasn't expected in my opinion I don't think you didn't think he was going to I didn't think he was going to stay this season and go into next season as Arsenal manager um, I think it's a, at least a year late I expect it last at season least, it's at least at least a year four late, years but, late really oh yeah of course I think he should have should have been went um, <laughs> quite a while ago but in terms of uh, expectations I expect him to to go last at the end of last season I think he's done it Knowing that he's not going to do much further this year and he can end this year in a nicer way than it has been, yeah. especially with the atmosphere around yeah, the club. has been a bit horrible. Um, but. I, I, I think it's uh, probably the Arsenal board have influenced him as well. Maybe they have had him in and I read, said, you know, what's going on. I read that um, he wanted to step down after his FA Cup win. Mm. And the board were totally unprepared and asked him to keep going until they were prepared. So maybe that that does edge towards so what you're prepared, saying. But prepared for what? Prepared, prepared for, for him leaving. I suppose mm. they need to be looking at targets if they haven't already yeah, for the last few years. So. Whilst we're on the subject, um, tar- talking of targets, we've already seen. I want, we do want to discuss more about Wenger and and, and him leaving and, and obviously what's happening in Senor, but... Just while you've mentioned the targets, we have seen the um, the the betting for 
the next Arsenal manager and surprisingly opening up with uh, Enrique, the ex-Barca manager, as um, quite a short favourite now. I think that's a reaction to possible reports from different news outlets Mm. that he is the board's favourite choice and obviously I think the board have been having dinners with him recently so it's easy to see why people might just jump on the wagon. Absolutely. Um, he did have Rogers' favourite last week, which was absurd. But yeah, that's quite um, extraordinary. It's a very t- it's a very weird market, whereas if a tiny bit of money goes on it, it will move it. Yeah, of course. So it's hard to follow, but I think it's Enrique, and there's a few ex-players, and then there's yeah. a few other possible candidates. But whoever takes whoever takes over is going to be it's a lot of pressure on them. Going into a very tough job, and for mm. me, I'd want someone who could deal with the pressure and can maybe transition them because it's going to be a very tough time yeah and you don't want to take a I wouldn't take a big risk on someone I'd maybe take someone like Ancelotti who Mm. can be there for two or three years just to stabilise things and while he's there for three years you start eyeing up his replacement so you're pre-preparing it yeah and then that's a nice transition Ancelotti isn't too different from Wenger's football yeah that's just my my thoughts I wouldn't go with someone like Arteta or Vieira Especially no. not Arteta. He's a, he Definitely might, not Arteta. He hasn't had the experience. He might be sitting behind Pep for a year, but that's his only thing he's done. Yeah, I don't think he's... And Vieira's only doing well in the MLS, and that's not a great quality league in comparison to the Premier League. The Arteta one's quite baffling, <coughs> really, when you consider it's not just a Premier League. I, I, I think he'd struggle at, at any Premier League club yeah. um, regarding his exp- lack of you, experience. I, I see Steven Gerrard's linked to Rangers. Even that's going to be... That's going to be still hard. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's underestimated football management. You, just you get some managers in the lower leagues that go into it and they struggle. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not just because they play Premier League and they might have played for that club. It's not a given right. Yeah, it's of not all, even though they might have the badges. It's still not a given right that they'll no, succeed. But these days, I think the badges kind of overshadow the experience, don't they? Mm. The badges um, becoming less and less important. I think if you know the right people and you have the right money, the badges seem easier and easier to pick up and they're a credential that ends up walking people into jobs that end up going sideways and that's why because there's no prop- real preparation behind it I think they missed their chance obviously this thing with Feng has been going on for years now because they haven't won anything they missed their chance to get Pep at the time yeah absolutely <coughs> and now looking at who, who they've possibly left with who's out of work it's not great mm. like it's, it is a very tough decision from here it's very tough it's going to be like you say it's going to be hard for any manager to go there as well it's choosing you know, the manager that's going to be able to deal with the pressure of going to such a big club. and I think I think personally someone like Roberto Mancini would be a good shout. Because yeah. I think he's done it before in the Premier League. I think he was given an unfair unfair treatment at, at Man City. I really City. liked him at City. I thought he was brilliant at City. And, yeah. you know, I don't really, I don't, I, don't, I don't like the club very much. I didn't like him when he was at the club. But I think he was a, he was a good manager. I don't think he was given him along with Pellegrini. He was not given a, a fair shake, really. Um I think he's. I think it'd be interesting to see him back in in the Premier League. He's someone who's suits well to, to to Premier League football. Is he unemployed right he's now? He's currently at Zenit, at Zenit, Zenit. St Petersburg. He was in. He did go to Inter. He did go to Inter. I think he left City and went to Galatasaray. Um, I think that was only for a, for a year. Actually, uh, could be wrong. I think it was only for a year. Then he went to Inter, and then he's now at uh, Zenit St Petersburg. So I imagine. It'll take a lot to kind of prize him away from the money they're probably paying him over in Russia. But um, who wouldn't? Why would he not, not want to come back to the Premier League and face yeah, up against City? And his character, the character that he's got, will you know bodes well for the Premier League. So he's also, also someone you can 
you can gauge from from the way he was at City. You know, for someone who's um, quite mentally tough and and uh, you know can have a good reign over the players and and can deal with the pressure as well. So, I think it'd be a good a good appointment for Man City, an interesting one, someone who can take him forward. If if they don't win the Europa League, the job is so much more unattractive as well because they'll be in the Europa League Absolutely. again. Yeah. And it's reported they only get a fifty million pound budget to spend next season. Yeah, I think. Well, we're talking about managers like Mancini and and even you said Ancelotti earlier. I think if they don't get uh, Champions League football, it's going to be incredibly harder for them to like. I say, think someone like Mancini might come more than Ancelotti in that case. But if Ancelotti's coming knowing they're lining him up as a as a transition type manager, whereas Mancini, who's I think it would take quite a lot to price him away from Russia. At the same time, I do think he would want to. I do think the attraction of playing the Premier League would be um, would be quite would be quite large. But if you imagine the money they're paying him in Russia, um, you know, I'm not so sure. Mind you, I think Zenit are only fourth or fifth in the league, so it's not as if mm. they're um, you know winning lots of silverware out there. So there's obviously other candidates. The Germany manager is one. Ex Dortmund manager Tuchel yeah. is one. Maybe Conte if he leaves Chelsea is Possibly one. I can't see him staying around and sticking around in England after the um the misery he's kind of enduring at at Chelsea. But as for the uh the international managers, they're not it's, they're not really a gauge I, yeah, of how I, well you do I, at I club level. I wouldn't go looking for an inter- current international manager unless they no. had been very successful domestically. At club level, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's not a very good gauge. So I'd stick. I I would employ someone who's been around and. Experienced being at big clubs, maybe um, Arsenal follow the likes of Chelsea recently ago. Allegri, yeah, possibly. Um, there's there's so many actually. There's so many even within the betting that have all got a fair shout, and you can make a case for bringing them in. And there's also many in there you can you know the same ones as well, and you can make a case for not bringing them in over others. So that's what's all part of the fun. But it's um, it'll be good in a way to see Arsenal when they leave it. But you know it's. He's been a great manager at Arsenal, but I think it'll be good moving forward um, <clears throat> to see who they bring in and to see what they do with Arsenal and see if they can bring back the Arsenal of old. Because Arsenal are not the same; they don't have the same attraction. They're not the same. They're not the same team they were a few years ago. They were there was a top side, and it'd be interesting to see if they can, you know, really resurge back and and and, and see if they can get themselves back at the top of the game. I feel like whoever does get the job isn't going to inherit the worst squad. No, they've got a quite handy squad, a very underrated squad as well. I think when they're recent There's a few holes, but they're obvious, and obviously that's why people are furious with Wenger, because he's never fixed the obvious holes. They've never replaced Vieira properly. No. They've certainly never got a a decent centre-back since the Invincible era. They had Vermalli, and I thought it was quite good. He he was good, but he's not... Up there of your current top top players yeah, I in the world. So, yeah. When you look at the invincible squads we discussed last week, and I mean Campbell, the likes of Campbell at the Campbell back, Campbell and Colo Torre in their primes. Yeah, I suppose <sighs> they were. You know, they were beastly tough, defenders. Tough but. people as well. Yeah. As you look at Mustafi and Cristiano, they're not really tough people, really. No, Especially I suppose that's Mustafi. part of the way the game's going. Though the part of the game's going where defense is now moving to. It's about more about the transition phase. I mean, you look at the likes of John Stones and. Even the Portes has gone to City and stuff. They're yeah. small and s- the frames are small, and it's more about these days playing out from the back. And even the academies teach for playing out from the back. It's, they're kind of changing the way the defence works. And maybe the aggressive side and the physical side is becoming less 
um, less of a component in choosing their central defenders. But, you know, your point's right. I mean, they have got holes in their squad, but they've also got good players to build around as well. They've got they've had some attacking players. They've got some real good attacking players to build around. Lacazette well, was a good sign. Up there I think, in the league, to be honest. Yeah, Lacazette, I think... Um, I think their squad's definitely better than their sixth place finish suggests. Yeah, I, yeah, I would think so. Um, Maybe only up to about fourth, but... Yeah, then, yeah. Then again, though, if you go through your squads, if you look at the likes of City, you've got a better squad. United have got a better squad. Chelsea, in my opinion, have got a better squad. That's where I would say different. I don't think Chelsea. I do. think Chelsea do have a better squad. I would say they? Liverpool do partially. They do. Their front three eclipsed. It's the front three, but I wouldn't. I don't. Over the Van Dyke, I don't want anyone else really in that back line. Gomez has done well this season. Young though, he's not a regular, is he really? Mm. We're talking about their regular stars, Dejan Louvre and... <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Um, Arsenal have got a good side. Their attack, whilst we're talking about attacking forces, their attacking force is very, very capable. They had like, Lacazette's a good signing. I know he hasn't lived up to maybe what many Arsenal fans are um, maybe expected. I still think he's got like six goals in eight games or something. He's he's been, still yeah, really he's good. still managed to be bagging here and there, especially <laughs> of, of late as well. And... He's a good. I think once again, maybe something like a new manager coming in, maybe with some fresh players coming in, maybe a bit more to bolster the, the, the team, maybe just spur him on, and maybe the confidence. The Arsenal were already slipping before Lacazette came in. Mm. Um, maybe the Arsenal that can turn it around. Maybe the fresh start next season. Maybe it's. Um, maybe we'll see a different kind of Lacazette. They've just bought Aubameyang as well, who's obviously a, a great talent. They've brought Mkhitaryan in, who hasn't probably been the same as he was at United in the first half of, of how he was at United. Mm. But um, nonetheless, he's a great player. And the likes of Ozil as well, who I'm expecting probably even better performances from him once a new manager comes in. Um, I think it all depends on, on the manager as well, though. Bring a new manager in and the fresh start and the fresh approach, maybe one or two new players, and maybe Arsenal can... Get back up and and you know play real good football again. So I wouldn't want to be making this decision because you know what their fan base is like with Wenger. Oh yeah, it's wrong. It's just going to be the same thing again. Yeah, and it's very impatient. They're quite impatient. And I'm not sure fans. their board knows what's best themselves, so that's where they might go wrong. Yeah, absolutely. But um, whilst we're on the talk of um, attacking forces, Mohamed Salah has just picked up. Player of the Year award. No contest, really. Absolutely no contest, no. Contest. no. I mean, Harry Kane has managed to score how many goals again this season. I think De Bruyne but... was the other one that was close, but no contest. Mm. You take Salah away from Liverpool, and Liverpool aren't where they are. Simple. No, absolutely not. Um, so it's easy to see why he's, he's, got, he's taken this he award. He deserves it by a country mile, absolutely. He's been a standout player in the Premier League, and... Arguably, this season is probably you know in the top top three standout players in the world. You know, he's what he's done at Liverpool this season has been has been brilliant, and um, he thoroughly deserves the award. I don't think, like I said, no one else could come close. I know Kane scored how many goals, but I think there's something for scoring goals and bagging goals and taking your team, especially especially to where they are in the in the, in the Champions League at the moment after, after last night's. Night. Um, you know, whitewash of Roma. So. He's the hottest player in the world right now. Not, not necessarily the based best, on form. I think so. Based on form, I have to agree. Um, and I think it's in- interesting where he's going to be rated. How he's going to be rated if Liverpool go and win the Champions League? Because he would have effectively, no disrespect to the rest of Liverpool side, but effectively carried them right the way through. He's, 
he's scoring nearly every game. It's literally like that. Yeah, and it's not going to be long before we're going to be comparing who's better for Liverpool, Suarez or or Salah. Yeah, when he inevitably goes to La Liga in the next two years. Oh, yeah, (laughs) most likely. But let's just say for for argument's sake, Liverpool managed to get get, um, to the Champions League final after, after holding out in the second leg and winning the Champions League final. Salah would have effectively carried Liverpool to a Champions League win. Yeah. And where does that write against Suarez? <sighs> Suarez was brilliant, don't get me wrong, but yeah. I'm not quite sure. Um, they did come close to, to winning the league. That. They did come close to winning the league there, but. Close, but close, but uh, no cigar, you know? Yeah. And the league and Champions League, Salah has effectively just turned the whole team around. Um. I think the crunch game will be the final because if they obviously yeah. they're likely to go through, then they're obviously going to play Real Madrid or Bayern. Yeah, and that would be tough. That probably it will be tough. It absolutely, it will be tough. But it'd be tough for the other sides as well. Match City this year, but then somewhere like Real Bayern is a very different story. I feel it is, but you'd fancy both sides to still, no matter what, still struggle with um, the attacking force Liverpool have got. Like you just said, he's the hottest mm. player in the world right now. And and the other two that that join him up front are also probably two of the best players in the world at the moment. And neither of those two make the team of the year. Only Salah, yeah. um, which is questionable. I think questionable is Aguero. Yes, he has scored a lot of goals. He's in another Premier League winning side. Um, he's still missed a lot of games, though. He's still been on the bench for a lot of them games. And <coughs> you have to kind of pose a question when looking at the team of the year whether... Some players are in there based on how their team have done this year and how maybe their part of the pitch has held up in in relation to how their team's done, or they're being rated by how they've actually played. So I yeah. think the likes of Aguero, you know, De Bruyne definitely should be in there. Silva should probably definitely be in yeah. there as well. The likes of Otamendi, yes, he's improved. He's come on leaps and bounds. Is he being put in there for off me, his own player performance or is it because City have got like we've already mentioned on I think it was last week's episode the fact that they've they've got one of the best clean sheet records in the league and they feel the need to put for me, City that's, defender in that's on improving their goalkeeper and when you've got Edison in fine form yeah. and you have to put him up against De Gea De Gea's obviously going to win absolutely but I feel like because of that they might have gone okay well, then we have to have a City centre-back in this team possibly that's that's, that's the that that's what poses a question as to whether they're rating them. Which one they're rating them by? I mean, Marcus Alonso. Yes, he's played. He played very well, especially at the start of the season. He had a great first half of the season yeah. in terms of his own individual play performance. But then Chelsea have been lackluster really. So, and they've they've also conceded a fair few goals. Where what, what are they rating it on? Are they rating it on player performance like they would be with Alonso? Or are they rating it by the team, maybe with Aguero, maybe by even the likes of Walker and stuff, you know? Yeah. Maybe they're throwing him in there for that. What strikes me is that Burnley are having the season of their life and not one player can make this team, which I feel is Yeah, but again, that would be then... Absurd. That would be, again, them putting a player in there because of how well they've done, rather than player performance. Don't get me wrong, they've played, the, some of their players have played Player really performances, well. will it, like, their keepers up there with Pet Cech for clean sheets this season... Mm. I mean, goals are fair enough. Then they're not pulling up trees, but defensively, I think I'd have one of their centre backs in, maybe above Otamendi or Walker. Walker, probably, yeah. Um, 
I just think I think it's just not right that Burnley do so well, and obviously their players will have had to play well to justify yeah. where they are in the league. To not have one of their players credited, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a bit of a joke. I just, just that that again, it all relates <coughs> back to the question of how you're doing a team of the year, I suppose. But it's, it's a fair point. Um, you also got Sterling's missing. It's probably one of his standout seasons. Standout season for him, but then we could say the same for maybe another player. But is it really compared? Who, who would you who would you take out to put Sterling in? That's the problem. I would have Firmino above Sterling, and Firmino's not even in the team. He's for me, he's the underrated piece yeah, in Liverpool's is. attack. He is. He's played fifty-three times this season. He scored twenty-eight and assisted. And before 13. Salah came in, he was their main attacking threat, <clears> and he seemed to be, he seemed to be the one grabbing all the goals, even when Liverpool fans were still claiming. And 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 myself included, uh, at the time I still I had still said Liverpool still need an out and out uh, striker, someone who's going to really carry the team and have something to build around. But yet, Firmino was still bagging nearly every game. Yeah. So he kind of <clears throat> he was doing it, and no one kind of really acknowledged him for doing it. I kind of feel like you could also look at more City players. Fernandinho is probably one of the best defensive midfielders in the league this season. Possibly, but then you again, once again, who are you going to take out? Exactly. Are you going to take De Bruyne out? Absolutely not. You're not going to take Silver out, no, considering not, how Man City have managed to win the league this season. You're not going to City take haven't Ericsson won the league this either. season by playing defensive midfielders. They've won it by their mm. by their blistering attack force, and Silver has just created that you know that much that much for City that, that that's what's won them the league. So it's going to get placed in above. For that. me, I would I'd take Walker out, maybe maybe Alonso. Definitely put a Burnley centre back in there. I don't believe Alonso should be in there. And then Firmino would be in there as well for me. At least one other player, and I might hint at someone like Sterling. Hmm. Sterling's a hard one. It's it's, it's relative to how he's done in the season, and it has been his best season. But it's it's who do you take out? It's very hard. I mean, no, no full-backs have really pulled up trees this year for me. They very rarely no. do. It's a hard position yeah. to judge anyway. I kind of, you kind of either have to exclude that position, which you can't really do, yeah. can you? Because you have to have every single position yeah, on the of pitch. So it is a tough one. But yeah. It's, um, the rest of it you can't argue with, really. No, definitely not. Um, even for Tongan, he's, he's played very well this season. Um, he, he deserves his place in there and the attack force really can't moan with but it's just whether just whether you want to uh, debate whether Aguero should be in there or not but the rest of it it's, it's, even the team itself as a whole you can't really argue apart from the fact maybe like you said why they're not a Burnley defender in there maybe considering all the clean sheets they've actually got this season the results they pulled off um, yeah. they're going to qualify for the Europa League and yeah it's looking like for the first time ever like they were. I think they only qualified, don't they? If United win the FA Cup, it's the top four that will be Champions League. With the fourth that has to qualify for the Champions League, I think, and then Europa League automatic is fifth, and then sixth has to qualify for Europa League, right? Yeah, but Arsenal in sixth, Burnley in seventh. Are they not up higher? They're in seventh, I think, just behind Arsenal. But if United win, but if United win the FA Cup, then I think Burnley will get 
Europa League if they finish in seventh. I could be very wrong on that one, but I think that's how it's going to work. Yeah. But um, that's up for debate. Um, okay, we'll move on to boxing. My name is Floyd. My name is Money Mayweather. By the way, on last episode, we didn't mention Frampton Denaire and the card on Box Nation. Um, obviously, we have very tight timing-wise, so um, we do have to pick and well, choose what we're having. Covered, but obviously, we're going to be looking at it today. So. Yeah, we're going to review it today. We can't preview and review every week, so we can't do a preview and then a review every week because obviously, this big topics in boxing. So we will be reviewing Frampton Denaire card this week, and uh, along with the Khan card. We will start with Khan. Yeah. Even though that was the, probably the quickest fight of all of them. Yeah, it probably <laughs> was. Yeah, that's right. Um, how did he look, though? I mean, he looked lightning fast. He looked lightning fast. His time was, for all 40 seconds, I mean, I know Le Greco probably didn't live up to the opponent we certainly made him out to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you're trying to defend yourself and your hands are in the air above your head. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> his jab was, I swear, above his head, like his, yeah. his, his eye level as well, so which was quite extraordinary. But um, he did, he looked lightning fast um, in the old 40 seconds we could see him. His think, timing looks very good. Eddie or someone might have said after he looks quicker than before, which is he, silly. He <laughs> did look very, very quick. And it wasn't. Yeah. He's very naturally fast, but I thought the rustiness of him not fighting for a while was... Might have took his time. Might have took him a while to get warmed up. But then again, we don't know if that was just a a complete. I'm not going to say lucky shot or anything like that. Cause that's a very mm. cliche kind of stupid thing to say. But what about if we, if it, just the round would have went rounds would have went on? Maybe we'd have to sit, showcase, you know, more of what Khan's about and have a look at him what he's really like rather than just landing more or less the first one two that he you know, he literally did and then that would be, pretty much be it. Mm. I did also think the stoppage was uh, quite premature as well. Le Greco didn't seem to look that 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 phase when he was on the yeah. floor. Um, and obviously, it wasn't a shock that Khan was going to win. The odds reflected It wasn't a that, shock that he was going to win, and it was the exact sh- performance that Matrim wanted him to have. That was perfect for what Matrim wanted him to do. Matrim wanted him to come out and announce himself back to the world as blistering uh, with, with <coughs> blistering speed and knock someone out very quickly, and then have all the camaraderie afterwards with Kell Brook. And that was that's what exactly Glasgow was wanted, but. Um, I don't know. I think it was a good bit of matchmaking. I thought it was a very clever bit of matchmaking. Um, they sold it quite well at the presser with what happened at the presser and, and yeah. Khan throwing water at him and then he come out to do that. So it was a very good bit of matchmaking. Um, so I think it, they grabbed everyone's attention with it. 
and it adds fuel to the Brook and Calm fight, doesn't it? So, so we talk about the Brook and Calm fight. Is that? I mean, we talked about this last week, but after the weekend, I think we only touched on it because yeah. we don't think it was going to be a, a soon thing. But after such a statement like that from Khan, it, he's going to want that at some point. I'm not sure if he does. I'm not sure if Khan does. He said he wants the uh, title fight, so that maybe that's the first priority, and then. See, he's, he's, I'm not sure what he wants. I, I think he's scared of losing <coughs> to Brook. I don't think he's scared of Brook. He, considering the, the, the people that Khan's took on before, he, I don't think he's definitely not scared of Kel Brook. Boxers ain't scared of people. No. But you but can be fear. scared of there's losing of, to them. Yeah. And maybe the backlash, the, or maybe embarrassment, if you like to call it that. But I don't believe that. To be at it for so many years, it's like that rivalry. The thing been is, with Khan, as we, we touched on it last week as well, Khan doesn't need the money as such. He'll no. look for big paydays because he's not, <clears throat> he's not interested in staying in boxing for the long term. He's he's done what he needs to do. He's become unified champion in two weight divisions and stuff. He, he doesn't need to do that. He shows that going up in weight to face Canelo. Yeah, and he's, brutally gets knocked yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. But I think um, I don't think he wants a Kelbrook fight. I think Brooke does, and I think it's. I, I think, think Brooke does just to prove a point because he's Brooke does because he wants to prove a point. Brooke wants big fights for one, and Brooke they genuinely don't like each other. Yeah. So Brooke Brooke does want to <coughs> just chin him. So it's um. I'm maybe, not sure. Maybe I'd, Khan gets back in, goes for the titles, wins the titles, and then. But, we, but who's he going to win a title against? Errol Spence. Who knows? When he when he gets his chance and his career is coming towards the end, then maybe he goes for the Brooke fight. Maybe you could wait and see what happens with um, the WBC. I know Furman just vacated yesterday. And uh, Garcia, Danny Garcia and Sean Porter are, are scheduled to face each other for that title. Maybe Khan could get a shot at one of them two. Yeah. Avenger with Danny Garcia, maybe a fight with Sean Porter. Um, maybe that's his route to take, but I just don't see... I think the weight's <coughs> an issue with the, with the Kelbrook fight. He said himself the weight's going to be now an issue because he's saying he's a one four seven fighter. Kelbrook's just moved up. And it's, it's common knowledge that he struggles and drain, he drains himself to get down to 147. Um, he said he'll take it, though. He said he will. He said he, he said he will do. But then that's the last option, last resort. Calm fought this weekend at 150 because it wasn't a title bout because it's his one bat. So why could they not do a catchweight for a fight like that? Brooks must, at a disadvantage. Be a possibility. Brooks at a disadvantage because he's having to come down four pounds and Khan's having to go up three pounds. So it kind of but it's kind of in the middle, and, it, and, it's, out, yeah. and it's, I don't see there's anything wrong with it. If you said he felt good at the weekend, and he felt what's what's the problem? But maybe it's just another barrier in the way. There's been so many in the past yeah. about winning titles and doing this and doing that, and uh, until he gives him a payday, or he, so he says, give him a give him a payday. So um, I'd like to see Karnim with someone significantly better than McGregor next. Who um, makes sense? Adrian Broner. <laughs> Adrian Broner, but but oh. I also want to see after the weekend's fight with with Vargas, I'd like to see Broner rematch Vargas. So if, um, if Broner fought Khan, I'd find it very hard to side with either of them personally. But that's my thoughts. But we'll come we'll come on to the Broner fight in a bit. Yeah, but. I think um, Adrian Broner's a good fight, yeah. but then weight might be an issue again. Yeah. Adrian Broner's not a one four seven fighter. I think he has liked to think he was in the past. <laughs> he liked to thought he was, um, but at the times he's been up there, he's been he's been beat and. It's when he stepped up to, to face good opposition, and I think now he's at 140. His last fight was at 144, catch weight, I believe, with Vargas. But uh, I think that's a good fight. That's a very good fight. 
and um, it's one that'll sell. It's one that'll be a good fight. Yeah, you'll be able to build that up easily over here. And it's, yeah, it's brilliant. And, 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 and kind of thing, yeah. So it, I think that's, that's a good fight. I'd like to see that next. Another good fight was on the undercard of Khan. Yeah, the Dodd and Coyle fight. Yeah, really enjoyed that fight, to be fair. Yeah, that was one we um, we touted on episode yeah. two last week. And we said, you know, tune in and watch it. And it was um, went as predicted. Well, in terms of uh, Coyle picking the victory up, yeah. which we predicted. And, and we tipped in our betting corner. Um, Coyle, again, like I said, underrated boxing skills. Very, very underrated, and people thought it was the way around. People thought that um, Coyle, if Coyle's way of winning would be by stoppage, which it was, uh, would be by getting into a scrap. But it wasn't a scrap. Coyle put a clinic on, and Coyle looked the better boxer of the two. He looked sharper. He looked quicker, as I predicted. And he's very underrated boxer, Coyle. It's just his vulnerability comes when he gets maybe into a bit of a scrap, and he's been he's been put um, put on the canvas before and, and stopped before because he gets into a scrap, but. Um, that was touted as his like last opportunity for a bout, and he's going to be yeah, done it. Was, yeah. So he, now he's got, he can look ahead now and let's crack on. Uh, if I'm honest, I don't think he will crack on. I think he might hang him up. After that, I think he might hang him up. I mean, they said about pre um, the, the, the fight, they're saying about maybe you know Lewis Ritson after fighting his mandatory and Paul Highland uh, fighting the winner of that fight, but. Uh, I have no interest in seeing that fight. I can't. Remember. I think Ritson's a few levels ahead. I can't remember what he was interviewed about after the fight, but I'm sure it was pressing for like where he goes next. Yeah, it was pressing. So, and he even said himself about about he'll have to go home and actually think about it. He's, he's, he, I know he's, he's um, his his other half doesn't want him to, uh, to to continue. And and why should he really? He's already built himself. Like they said, he's, I think they said himself in the interview, he's built a legacy in Hull himself. He's got two gyms in Hull. I know he's invested his money very wisely. Um, he can retire a champion with a very respected belt. Yeah. Uh, go out on a very, very <coughs> good performance. Um, and, you know, he, he can retire in good health whilst he's still young. He's only 28 years old. And he can retire. On the other hand, you know, he might want to go on and... St- Kyle loves a scrap, you know, and, and maybe yeah. maybe he does want to continue. You must love the sport, sure. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah, of course. I think um, maybe just it might spur him on. Maybe he's, he, he won't be able to leave... The, you know the um, adrenaline of fighting behind, but um, he done well. It was he was a uh, great performance, very fitting for him. Dodd seemed a bit off his game, if I'm honest. Yeah, where does he go? From, where does he go from here? Dodd will come back. Dodd will come back most definitely. He seems a Cinderella man of 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 uh, Liverpool or Birkenhead, actually, where he's from. But he's um, he'll be back. He's had setbacks before. He's a big ticket seller, very big ticket seller. Um, this, uh, the lightweight scene is still, still, you know, still buzzing in Britain. So I think he yeah. can come back and he'll feel more under cards on good domestic scraps. Um, he'll come again, most definitely. Uh, he seemed a bit off his game, to be honest. I know he said in the post-fight interview about his. I think he's had um, issues with his father's health recently. His father's just just beaten illness, so you know he's um, maybe his preparation was hampered. I don't know, but I think Coyle proved on the night, and in my opinion, no matter what Dodd turned up on the night. Um, I believe the best Coyle beats the best Dodd. Yeah. And I believe I believe that's what happened. I think the better man won. Um so I think that was that. But it was a it was it was a very good fight. One that lived up. Um the rest of the undercard was we seen Anthony Fowler back in action. Uh a stoppage with a sickening body shot. Time um, to get Connor Ben off these sorts of cards until he fights you properly. You know, I think with Connor Ben, I think he's um we're almost seeing his amateur career. 
because of his his limited amateur experience, I think we're almost seeing his amateur career so high up on these Saturday night cards. And I don't think it's really needed. But the thinking yeah. behind it is is the marketing because he's obviously Nigel Ben's son, and he's mm. got a very all action style. The marketing is going to be there. He'll be in very good fights because of the way he fights. Um, and I think that's more what it is. I think we now see he's being sold as a as a marketing thingy, but as a boxer. I'd like to see him maybe go and do it on some small hall shows. Maybe some of the ones that are not televised. Yeah. Maybe, you know, and go and, go and learn your trade properly and, and, and do your apprenticeship and, have, you know, go and have 20, 25 fights and really start learning and then come onto the cards and then start filling cards and stuff. So, yeah, that's the thing with with, uh, with Ben. He did have a good win. He had a good win with a stoppage win over Truman. Um, they just need to take it slowly with him. They just need to take it slowly. He's still learning. still very young. Um and I think he will. He's, he has some very obvious flaws in his game, but I think he also shows a lot of promise and a lot of a, a lot of promise. Some of the attributes he has, his head movement's really good. Um, and I think he's. Uh, I, f- I think he can be good. I think he can be. But um, Akington also on the undercard. Redemption type thing. With uh, a stoppage, it's a ball rolling. I suppose at like middleweight. He's. Um, He's now at 154, and I'd love to see him, you know, get involved maybe domestically at 154 because that, that that that's buzzing as well. Like we said before, Fowler, Fowler as well. So maybe Fowler at the end of the year, going into next year, maybe start moving them on, and yeah. start making them face each other like of Eggington, Fowler, Cheeseman, um, then there's Liam Williams in 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 the UK as too, but he, he'd probably be a level or two above. So I'd like to see him all start. You know, maybe just facing off against each other, and they'll all make for you know very, very, very good fights as well. Them three, very good uh, styles of fighting. Uh, Natasha Jonas also on the card, picking up her first title. Just um, one step forward, I suppose. One step forward, one step closer mm-hmm. to maybe the big clash with Katie Taylor at some point. So it's um, good for her confidence picking up the title. And go on to the other card of Frampton. I think. Yeah, I yeah, the Frampton card. This is the only one I wasn't able to watch. Yeah, it was, well, yeah, there was two on at the same time. Um, the Frampton fight was brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It lived up to it as a great fight. Daenerys probably a, just a little bit past his best, as Carl even said himself afterwards. Um, but it was a great fight. Frampton was very, uh, very polished, uh, sublime. He put on a real good show of boxing skills. Um it was a good fight. Nanito really pu- um, pushed him and, pr- and, and pressed him. And especially later on in the fight, uh, Denaire, uh landed his own uppercuts and, and seemed to have buzzed Carl on a few occasions. So it was a very, very good fight, a very good action fight. Um, and that's what's just going to happen when you put two world-class fighters together. Yeah, totally. Um, well, Frampton is building quite the resume now. He's He's got two wins over Martinez uh, when, when he was at better days a few years ago. Outpointed Scott Quigg in in the big clash in 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 the UK and uh, following moving up to featherweight, taking on Santa Cruz in America and beating him. I know he lost the uh, the rematch on points as well, um, but still now he's got a solid win over Denaire, who's uh, four time four four weight world champion. So it's um, a where great does, great. Where does Frampton go from here then? Um, I hope he fights Oscar Valdez. I know he's fighting at Windsor Park next. He's been promised by Frank Warren he's fighting at Windsor Park next in the summer. Um, yeah. And I think he needs a good opponent for it. I think Oscar Valdez will be a fantastic fight. They can both bang a little bit. They're both very good boxers. 
Um, they're both got you know, really sublime boxing skills, and I think it'd be a real, real good fight, especially following the fight of Aldous had with Quig, um, <coughs> which was a cracking fight. Um, but I think Bob Arum has told Frank Warren that uh, Valdez has still got a jaw injury from uh, the quick fight, so he, he won't be available for the summer. Um, it's likely. I mean, Lee Selby fights Josh Warrington next month. Maybe it'd be the winner, winner of that. All three of them are with Frank Warren. Um, so it's, it's it's just one of them things. I, yeah. I think maybe Selby and. Selby and uh, Warrington, the winner of that maybe, as well with Frank Warren, maybe that in the summer. But um, hopefully he can get it on with another good opponent later in the summer at Winter Park. We also had uh, Fury's comeback news last week. Announced he would be coming back in June, long-awaited return. Um, Still no in opponent announced. No opponent announced yet, and it's not going to be of a very high level. I have heard it's going to be a cruiserweight from Albania. Um, Sefer Safiri, who I think oh. the Albanian press are reporting his words. Um, it's obviously going to be some nobody, like just to get well, him back into the swing of things. He's a career it? cruiserweight. He's had one fight at heavyweight, and it's uh, a points loss to Manuel Shah. Uh, I would have preferred him over heavyweight of any level, really, than a cruiserweight. Um, I did like the Gary Cornish shout. Yeah, we touched on it last thought, week. Yeah, didn't we? I thought it was a good shout. It's a genuine heavy. He's tall. To ask a few questions of Fury and he'll, you know, see what Fury Fury's got on his first fight back. Um, Fury's not the hardest hitter at heavy, so we don't have to worry about a quick blowout like it happened in the Joshua fight. But yeah, um, yeah Fury's back, and it's, it, can, it can only be a good thing. He's brilliant for the division. I mean, hopefully, the opponents announced soon, and we can touch on it more. Yeah, absolutely. We can. We can. Uh, we can go into the, the Fury discussion a lot more once his once his tra- once his trainers um, his trainer his opponent has been announced. So um, we'll await an announcement in the next few weeks to see who we will fight in June. Really enjoyable card in the US. Late yeah, that evening as well. Yeah, um, it was a fantastic the, fight. The two on the undercard were kind of quick stoppages. Yeah, so um, go over those. Javante Davis, Davies. looked very explosive. Um, very good, yeah. He looks real good. He's a very, very skillful southpaw. But then with him, it's the Broner and Mayweather comparisons, like attitude, yeah, dedication. Quite possibly. I mean, he's hanging around with Floyd's probably not going to do him too well, to be honest. I mean, I know Floyd managed to party all the time and still reach the top of the game, but Floyd still trained like no other. He was something yeah. like never, never five pounds over his fighting weight all year round. So it's having the discipline to still do that. Whether Javante has got it to do it. I'm not sure. We all know Adrian Broner hasn't. Yeah, we've seen him. We've seen in the past a few of his fights he's, he's, when he stepped up. You don't want Davies to head towards what Broner's been doing, really. That's it. So, Especially um, with that talent. But I think uh, Davies is uh, he's from a he's from a very rough background and a rough place in America, so maybe he might have um, trouble like, cutting the ties. Yeah. yeah, maybe with that. But he looked very explosive. Very another early knockout. Hype takes off though, I think. Hype takes off. Especially with who he's linked with now, I think that's a bit yeah. of a bridge too early. Well, they're mentioning with Lomachenko now, but yeah. I think it's way too way I too soon for that. Kind of laughed when that was asked. For. It's too soon, it's way too soon. It's not true anyway. I don't think Floyd will put him in there with Lomachenko, especially not at this point in Lomachenko's career. Um, he looks like absolute... He's probably the best boxer in the world at the yeah. moment. I think it's... You're going to throw this young kid that's still on his way up. Yeah, he's daft, really. he's daft. But that's what the hype does. And the hype yeah. takes off, and especially after stoppages like the weekend. But, you know, Quayla 
was coming off a stoppage defeat at the weight below, and he hasn't fought for I don't know how long. So it's yeah. not really... It was always going to go one way. He was fighting someone who was quicker, sharper, and stronger, who was at the weight above, so it was never going to end well for Quayla, but... Look at Charlo, Charlo was all Charlo's the same. Fight, yeah. yeah, Charlo was exactly the same. Never really KO. Very expected. You know, Santino's been... Um, he's been knocked out before. Charlo seems to have dynamite in them gloves, and he's a very capable boxer. Well, correct um, me if I'm wrong, but hasn't he only been knocked out once... Yeah, uh, 27 yeah. fights, so it maybe emphasises how good the knockout Quite possibly. was. Quite possibly. I mean, I'm, a lot of them fights will be against more lower-level opposition than it's expected it to be. D- it did look like a mismatch, but yeah, even still, um, that win gives him the mandatory for Triple G. Yeah, I, I believe so for the That'd WBA belt. Very exciting. Yeah, definitely. Exciting um, fight. It's, it's a real good fight, especially at this stage of Golovkin's career. Yeah. Um, it's considerably better than Golovkin's next opponent in, in Matteo Sion. Um and hopefully that's maybe something for later this year if the Canelo fight doesn't come to fruition or the <coughs> Saunders one doesn't but um, Charlo's very capable he's very young he's strong he's a very good boxer he's entertaining and I think um, I'm looking forward to seeing him get in the mix with uh, the middleweights and then obviously the main event was very it's like a war of attrition it was it's a fantastic fight it's a fantastic fight, and it was um, very high-paced, very full of action, very close. You say we say high action, but I feel like Vargas got on a lot more, and Bruno. That's not really Bruno's style, is it? He's, he's uh, bro, bro, Bruno just needs to. Bruno doesn't throw as much, and I think that's his downfall, though. I think that's his downfall. Yeah. Very much is not his style, but he, that's his downfall. When he threw in that fight, he landed, and he was he looked very oh, yeah, flashy he, and he, sharp, and, and looked like he was damaging yeah, Vargas. So yeah. I think. He's, he's it's been it's the same story as as it has been for his three defeats though as well. He needs to start throwing. Um he needs to let his hands go. He's very quick, he's very sharp. Um it's a very close fight. Yeah. I I'd, thought Vargas edged it I'd ever so Vargas slightly. Up until about halfway and then um if it was round eight, Broder's yeah, corner was telling him He came him, on very strong. Broder's corner telling him he's there for the take and he kind of came back into it. You can't argue of any any result really, to be honest. No, a draw. I I would have had it. I'd find it very hard to give it to either. It's, it's I watched all yeah, of it. Yeah, it's um. You could you can you can argue of either on a, on a narrow win or the draw. I think Vargas landed lots more body shots. He was the busy with the two, uh, but Bruno did come on very strong late. Um, Vargas takes shots as well as well. Yeah, he's, I'd love to see a rematch. To be honest, I think a rematch would sell very well. Bruno fights do sell anyway, but yeah. that, that fight would sell very well. I think they both said they wanted that after. Yeah, of course. I think it's a um, natural rematch to make. I think it's a natural rematch. I don't, I don't see why they won't get it on again. It was, very, it was a very enjoyable fight. Yeah. Fair. We just uh, quickly touch on this weekend before we head off to the golf. We do have Danny Jacobs facing... Uh, Maciech, Maciech, excuse the pronunciation if I'm wrong, Selecki, um, it's a decent fight. Uh, there's concerns for Selecki considering he's coming from 154 and Jacobs rehydrates a lot to a light heavyweight on the night. So I'm expecting a solid Jacobs victory, um, one that will set him up for a big clash next, one that will see him, you know, hopefully him with someone like Saunders or Charlo or someone like that, maybe even a rematch with Golovkin. Um, that's in Brooklyn, it's a good fight. Um, on a matchroom card. They get a lot of fights in Brooklyn, aren't they? Recently, yeah, yeah, recently. I think it's a good place to sell fights uh, in New York. There, it's a, a bit good, off being to the Barclays Centre. It is really, yeah, it is really good. It's a good, um, it's a great venue. Jarrell Miller's on the undercard. 
against to help us. Um, I think to help us is more there for a paycheck, though, in my opinion. I know he comes to fight, don't get me wrong, but I think he's, uh, his ambition doesn't quite match up to the level of Miller's. I think Miller will be too strong. Grind to help us down for, for a late stoppage. Um, I'd like to see what weight Miller comes in at. I think it needs to be significantly lower than what he's been coming in. I think he's too too heavy in there, but um, hopefully a big fight for Miller if he does come through it. I know he's in the running for AJ's next fight, so um, it's another it's another good fight on the undercard. They're both good fights. Um, Katie Taylor's also on the, on the card. She completes probably the television broadcast of the card. Um, she's in a unification of WBA and IBF uh, female titles. Um, you know, Eddie Hearn's building a real good brand with her, having her in New York. New York having a big Irish population. Um, and it's good to see Eddie giving her a slot, to be honest, not just using yeah. it for another popular you know, male she fighter. Like she's fought abroad. On yeah, she's, she's, she has fought in America before, I think, and um, it's uh, it's good for to push in, for pushing women's boxing. So um, it'll be a good broadcast on Sky this weekend from one or two o'clock in the morning. So um, we'll look forward to that. Moving on to the golf. After so many years. Yes, and for all for Sergio. Right at it. Right at it. Oh, he's done it again. Just as he did at the John Deere for his first win. Surely not. Surely not. Shades of Sanderson. Oh, he's only gone and done it. To the golf, then um, a win in a PGA Tour for Andrew Landry, his first in uh, 32 PGA starts, I believe. Yep. Um, how did he do in there? How did he? What? How, how, what made him keep his victory? I know he burst into the lead, but how did he keep it? He's a, he's a local lad. I think that's a big reason why he's gone round where for him it's like. I can compare it like maybe like a mini Ryder Cup. Mm. You've got your like your fans cheering you on all the way around. So he's in his hometown. Yeah. All his family, his friends, even people from there are going to come out and follow his group more than they're going to follow anyone else. Yeah. So that's firstly going to spur him on to keep going. And he is a very good player. He's he, he's from there. He plays wind well, mm-hmm. and wind is the big problem. Um. It's easy to forget that he led the 2016 US Open. He shot mm-hmm. 66 in the first round. He led first round. And he kind of stayed up there. And on the final day, he was in the final pairing. He obviously didn't win. But he's still there. Earlier this season, <clears throat> um, he nearly won again at the career builder. Yeah, I think he was lost he, a playoff to John Rahm, he right? lost to John Rahm. So yeah. I suppose he knows how to close. Yeah, that just shows he knows how to close, and maybe the play a playoff would have been too far for him that time. But I think a win was coming. 
yeah for him um done quite well especially in the back end of the rounds and a lot of pass saves to save his, um, his early birdies yeah it's another first time winner on tour this year yeah uh, there's been a lot of them this year so i think when you're seeing first time winners are happening left right and center confidence boost it gives you confidence in that yeah. aspect he still hasn't qualified for this year's US Open, so he's going to have to keep the form rolling. Yeah, well, he's up to uh, career high, 66 in the world. See, that's now world on rankings. the borders of so getting So he's only the just Open. outside the top 50, really. Um, but he's, yeah, he's certainly seems talented. There were some nerves in the back nine. I'm, I'm yeah, the pass saves to protect his um, his early birdies. There was a hot... Um, Trey Malinax was playing with him he was yep. I think he came second or something in the end and um he set the course record the day before at ten under so he's going into the final day second full of confidence. Yeah. And then he he had a bit of a bot he bottled the back nine. But there was one there was one chance one of the later holes where if he took his opportunity he really could have like dethroned Landry yeah. coming into the last bit. But he didn't he he um he duffed a chip into the bunker and that was all, that was almost he dusted Jimmy to the bunker and then gave himself a very hard bunker shot, and he just obviously couldn't catch Landry. Landry kept his nerve. Yeah, like you say plenty of pass saves. Grinding out like that is how you're going to win. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's just had a new child as well recently, so for him to go in and uh, and win a tournament. I know the, the field wasn't the best, but um, for him to still go and win a tournament there's like a, that. There's a weird factor about. Players having babies and winning around the same time. There was a bloke on the European tour that did the same. Yeah. Last year. That would usually be a sure sign for me to stay away from maybe betting on well, on a golf after they've had a kid. Maybe they're not preparation. I might be wrong, be but hampered. he was on Facetime while she, his wife was giving birth. Yeah. I think. So he's in the middle of the tournament. And he went on to win. I, I might be slightly wrong on that, but in some ways it does give him a boost. Yeah. You'd be surprised. Maybe the mood and the, the, the mood of a golfer, I mean, it's just instantly boosting the feeling on top of the world that they can do anything, they can beat anything. You know, it could also to, be a golf could like be a that. good distraction from the kid. Yeah, well, yeah, that as well. You're out on the course for four hours trying to focus on playing a good round. Yeah. You know, it doesn't even cross your mind, surely. Well, I think it's um, quite subjective. Some of them would say, yeah, no, it's it's, yeah. it's good to get out there and forget about it, and someone's probably on their mind. So there's another good performance. Over the weekend in PJ Tour, nineteen-year-old. Uh, yep, Joaquin Neiman. So um, six. He's the first man since two thousand and six to record a top ten on debut. Yeah, he's been the only ten professional. The week before he uh, competed the after the Masters, so yeah. like he qualified by winning the Latin America Amateur Championship mm -hmm. for all the mar for all the majors this year. And by going pro, it revokes his access as an amateur to the rest of the majors. So now yeah. he's got to qualify for them again. Yeah, which is quite um, a plausible, but quite, you know, well, he, commend, re Some amateurs come in at the wrong time, and he's kind of timed it perfectly. He's in yeah. form. He's in great form. Yeah. And he comes here and shoots something like 66, 67, or something similar over the weekend, which is ridiculous. He he. At one point, he did look like contending for the lead. Yeah. And as his, on his debut, it just shows the level of talent this kid has. Right, he's only nineteen, and he's just picked up just above, uh, just north two hundred twenty thousand dollars for his first pro paycheck. Yeah. Is he the next big thing, 
or is it merely just a credential that's it's, on many golfers kind of uh, honours list kind of thing being world amateur number one it's and a difficult one because every player is different like world amateur one has gone to people like Rory Ricky Fowler which are all going to do Spieth, huge things Spieth in the sport Spieth has been it but it's also gone to the likes of like Stephen Gallagher who's done nothing really yeah. but um, he clearly looks talented and he only one person has held that one, number one amateur spot longer than him yeah, and that was Patrick Cantlay. Obviously, he had a bit of a tough time, but he's come back on one and showing why he was number one amateur. So, if the talent's there, he's obviously going to do well, and he's shown on that on debut that he's going to contend with, albeit a yeah. weaker field. It's still not totally weak. Yeah, he will. Con- he will be up there and contending. It's whether or not he has like the nerve on the bottle to when things don't go right. Yeah, keep it to going. Keep it going. But he he does look talented. Like yeah, he is probably one of the most ready, maybe since Cantlay, right. in terms of number one amateurs. Yeah, I mean Oli Schneiderjans was a very long at number one. Yeah, and he last season he had ups and downs. But yeah, that's understandable. But he needs to find his level and then kick on from there. But Neiman will will go well. I think yeah. on the PGA Tour, especially when it comes to things like this. Only nineteen as well. It's so so much to learn yeah. still, and so much so much room for growth. He's won. He's won all sorts as an amateur. Mm. He's won at least a couple of titles every year since he was like thirteen, fourteen. So it's those sorts of players that are like bred like that yeah. that will go well. Eventually. Yeah, absolutely. We also had. Um, Alexander Levy back in action on the Euro Tour. That's a win for us as well. Is it also a win that. for us? <laughs> it was uh, yeah, tipped um, up at 25s. Yeah. All of a sudden he's... Uh, can back up the reasoning from there for why he won. He, he wants to be on that Ryder Cup squad. It's in France. Yeah. They want a Frenchman in their team. And he's clear leader above them all, really. Can he continue his form, though? But obviously the Ryder Cup selection is not for a while. So can he continue form? If he has, say, another win, surely then he... Is a big. He needs to be included in the squad after that. He could easily win again this week. He could defend his title this week. It would not surprise me one bit. Mm. But um, <clears throat> he's just a great player all round. Some of the some of the ballsy shots he made on on the back nine on Sunday were ridiculous. He just went for it. He's 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 one of those players that does well to bounce back from mistakes. He double bogeyed the first hole mm. of this competition bounces back and wins it yeah every bogey he made he'll come back at some point with a mental birdie. game seems very strong yeah he's one of the best ball strikers and approach players on tour his putter is he's a reliable putter consistent in all aspects scrambling yeah. you're meant to scramble well around um the trophy Hassan course yeah if you're gonna win and he obviously did but he's not that's not like a long-term thing but he also scores well on like par fives and par fours which is Vital, yeah, absolutely. He's now inside the world's top fifty as well, which means he can secure himself, in, you know, his place in the players and uh, and the U.S. Open. Yeah, but um, performing somewhere, if he can perform somewhere like there, bear in mind it is a big difference. You've seen we've seen some absolutely. European tour players come over and not do well. No, if he can make the cut, I'd say making the cut in both of those would be stand out for me. He could, could even contend. I don't think. I don't think the um, U.S. Open course, Shinnecock, 
suits him at all. But if he can make the cut, it shows that he's willing to compete on that level. Yeah, of course. Especially hold, his, hold his own. Those with fields are the ones that you're going to get in the Ryder Cup. Yeah, absolutely. The US. Um, there's another guy who's been playing really well lately, and I'll touch on him more in the betting corner. But this South African called Eric Van Royen. Yeah. Um, has been only played a handful of European Tour events from the Sunshine Tour, which is the South African Tour. And to step up from there to here and be one, he seems like an elite player to me. Honestly, he could follow people like Fratelli and Grace and go on to the PGA Tour. I think, I think I'm going to say that now. And you'll come back to me in a year's time. Yeah. And I think he'll be where I'm saying he'll be. He's very talented. He's come from nowhere. Yeah. Very, very talented individual. Yeah, I suppose um, it's interesting, really, all the, the up-and-coming kids we've got coming through and all the all the players that are coming from them, like you're saying, stuff, and, and really getting the spotlight shone on them when they're performing in tournaments and stuff. It's quite interesting. So then we'll move on to other sport. Yep, move on to other sport. Games, what a player! Three sets of love. What a champion here at Wimbledon. The first man to win eight championships. Federer is going to make it two gold medals for Great Britain. Beautiful! Lewis Hamilton, once a four-time winner of the British Grand Prix, it's a fifth British Grand Prix win for Hamilton. The brave, the generous Native River in front. He's still holding on. He's made every yard. What a run. Native River and Richard Johnson have won the Tomiko Gold Cup. What a beautiful delivery that is. And when he's in this mood, watch out. And it's a record for Jimmy Anderson. For the listeners that do not know much about it, the teams that performed worst last year get first dibs, if you like, on the stars coming out of colleges this year. There are seven rounds spread out over three days, but the first round is more hyped up than the latter rounds, understandably due to the talent available. I'd like to introduce our guest for this week, an avid follower of the sport, draft enthusiast and Miami Dolphins fan, Owen Dawson. Owen, welcome to Sport After Dark. Morning, thank you for having me on. So... It's a very interesting draft this year. Um, having a look at it, I think we'll begin with what we think is going to happen and we'll branch off from there. Yeah. So Cleveland, the Cleveland Browns have the first and fourth pick in this year's draft, as they normally do, because they are terrible. Um, yeah. With the first pick, it's likely to be a quarterback and the options are Sam Darnold and Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield by the sounds of it. I'm going Sam Darnold. Yeah, I think that's, that's a safe one. I think once again with the Browns going quarterback, I think they have to get it right this year. And everybody seems to be pointing towards Darnold to be number one. And I like him much more over Josh Allen because, well, we'll get there later on. But yeah, I don't rate him. <coughs> to me, Sam Darnold seems like... I think he might be the most ready. Others will disagree. I think it's between him and Rosen. I'm sure most people would argue Rosen. But... Yep, but to me, I just feel Sam Darnold makes the fit 
and when you've got Tyra Taylor there, he's gonna press yeah. him for that spot. Um, they yeah, you also... can have him even sit behind for at least a couple of games while he adjusts. Because yeah. you've got somebody like Tyrod sitting there. There's even more pressure on them this year, having skipped on Deshaun Watson last year, and Trubisky, and then, take, then panicking and getting Kaiser yeah. in the second. They have to get and it right year, this year. And this year, there's not really much excuses with the wide receivers than how often. No. Getting, the team they are building is young, and it's getting there. So eventually, they're going to have to tip the step <laughs> to two wins. They seem like they've got the right kind of front office this year as well, which could At long be key. Last. Um, so we're in agreement that Darnold goes first and then second. Yeah. A lot of people think the Giants will go quarterback. Do you agree with that? No, I really can't see that myself. I can't. But I, think I think it's madness. It has to be Barkley. They're in a win now situation. They've got the likes of Odell. Yeah. On the offense. Eli's getting on. Eli's got maybe two or three more years, and obviously they took Webb last year, who's been sitting behind Eli. So like yeah. he's had a year behind that in that system, so I don't I don't see the point of going QB yet. Yeah, and resetting on having to teach somebody else for another year. So who do you have them taking? Oh, Saquon Barkley, all day long. Yeah, I read something saying the running backs they've missed out on recent in recent years, and it is quite frankly embarrassing. Oh yeah. They they took Paul Perkins ahead of Jordan Howard, and obviously Jordan Howard's had two standout years in Chicago. Mm, Perkins has done very little yeah. in terms of they production. Missed, they were one when they were one pick off Le'Veon Bell, who's probably one of the best running backs in the league on his day. Yeah. Um. They've also missed out on Todd Gurley, who had the MVP year last year, in my opinion. Although to be fair to him, when they're going to pick above him. You can't really handle that, can you? But when you're picking Perkins over Howard, I think you've got something going a bit wrong. And in Saquon Barkley, you get the best player in the draft, you get a generational talent, and oh, you yeah. get someone who's going to be completely fine off the pitch. Well, I think when you look at last year, and you look towards what the Jaguars did, or even the Panthers with McCaffrey, and then Fournette at the Jaguars, you see that. I don't think you can <laughs> take the risk on Missing out on it just, somebody like it, Barkley. People are apprehensive about taking a running back so early, but it just shows, it just proves that it's worth it. Pays it. Off you've got Fournette, you you've got Gurley, right. Bell, Zeke. Yeah. They're all going in the first and like proving that it's worth it. And for them, that just makes sense. Oh, yeah. Another QB needy team comes third in the New York Jets. So Darnold's off. We've got a choice of Allen, Mayfield, and we'll bring in Rosen. I think it. Per- I think Baker Mayfield in New York just sounds like the headline maker more than yeah. anything else. And in the past uh, <coughs> week or so, he's been gaining kind of like the rise back up. Because he went from being talked about as like, well, maybe his attitude's not right, and and now it seems like everybody seems to have locked him in at New York. Yeah, and I think this this makes more sense than Josh Allen. There's obviously doubts over his size and things, but to me, you've got people like Drew Still Brees. Still think that's nonsense. Yeah, it's it's the old like stereotypical like old generation. If you're not six foot five, they you still, can't get it over anybody. Yeah, they they still measure them in really weird yeah meters and things. It's nonsense. They need to move on with this day and age. But yeah. So well, Russell fact, Wilson's been in the league for. 
for ages now, and he's the same size as Mayfield, and he's not really had much of a problem. Yeah. So I don't think he can for me, the write first, somebody off. Those first three picks are pretty locked. I, hard, yeah. I find it hard to see outside those first three. Um, then we've got Cleveland again at, again at four, mm-hmm. and you'd imagine they'll go defence, and then it's take your oh, pick yeah. from there. I think it has to be the best defensive player in this draft. And Bradley Chubb will Bradley be on Chubb. the board. But then their secondary is terrible. Like They really could, ways, they yeah. could take Minka, they could take Ward at corner or safety, Like, but Chubb is likely. I think if you if you take Chubb at four, <coughs> you put him on the other end to Garrett, and you've got Emmanuel Ogba playing defensive tackle in the middle. Yeah. You've got three guys there. Three young guys that are going to... For a long be time. your co- defensive core for the next six, seven years, then fair enough. Oh, yeah. And then we've got Denver, who potentially are another QB needy team. They're going to be starting the season with Case Keenum, who, quite frankly, had a very fluky year, I, I'd say. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair to say. But I don't have them. I, I think the Bills trade up here. Yeah. I, I think... I find that hard. I think I find it hard to see Denver not going QB, and when you've got Rosen there, who's others say is the most most ready. Well, I can see the argument for him because Elway's spent pick last not last year, but he's he's gone with Paxton Lynch in the past, Osweiler in the past. He needs to get Simeon, somebody terrible. right soonish, or they're in real bother. Yeah. But what? Whilst that is a valid argument, I think the stay with Case for a year. Because you never know. Whilst last season may have been a complete fluke, if he do, if he produces even half of that this season, you've also Denver got to trust a... Vance Joseph over Zimmerman and yeah. Shermer at the time. So if the bills come up, I imagine they won't be taking Rosen. They'll be taking Allen. Yeah, that's what I've got down. I've got that, but the next pick. I'd go Rosen to Denver and then Buffalo trade with the Colts for Allen. Yeah. And I would see that's a typical Bills move. I don't see why they need Nate Peterman V2 because he's terrible. I think, I think they've accepted that Peterman's not going to do it, but then to go and get it is, is like doppelganger in this draft. Well, to me, Allen has probably the biggest ceiling, but also the biggest floor. It's such a big risk. You you need the right coach with him, and he's either going to be one end of the scale or the other, and that's yeah. going to be the risk that a team's going to have to take. And I would not want to take that if I'm desperate for a QB. Yeah, if you if you're moving up and giving up two first round picks to do it, you want somebody that's going to just come in and do what you expect them to do. Not <laughs> yeah. is he going to be all right? If we go quickly on to the, you still have the Colts at six. I still have the Colts at six. Do they and take? I have them. Nelson? Yeah, Nelson, just because with Luck returning, I think they just need to put some more protection in front of him in a desperate attempt to keep him fit for a full season at least to yeah. see if they can truly achieve anything before completely blowing it up. I mean, they're close to blowing it up anyway. They don't really have a lot going on outside of Andrew Luck. It's definitely a possibility, but I, I think they might try and garner some more picks and the Bills, they can take the Bills both for their first round. They can, yeah. They can go get a Will Hernandez later in the first. Yeah. Or even um, Isaiah Wynn. 
Yeah, they have options if they move back. <clears throat> and obviously they already go back to 12, which isn't too far back, and they can take a, another defensive piece. Yeah. A diff- oh, sorry, different defense, defensive piece. I was going to say, because then they'll be at 22 after that, and in between that you've got so many wide receiver needy teams and such, so yeah. there's always the chance that somebody like a, a Landry falls to them or somebody. So the top six is done. We'll quickly round up the remaining. We'll go up, we'll go up to 12, as we've mentioned, Buffalo trading up. Yeah. Very briefly, Tampa Bay, if Nelson's gone like you suggest, then safety seems logical and Derwin James seems to be the guy rising. Yeah. Everybody, you read any mock going at the minute, everybody seems to have James going here. And if you put him in at safety, you've got Brent Grimes for the, he's in his final year, I think, on one side, and Vernon Hargreaves on the left, the other. So you've got two solid corners. And then doing James over the middle, I think it just makes complete sense. Yeah, and obviously Nelson's not gone on mine yet, and then dead fall from my Chicago Bears, which would just yeah. the most perfect fit with Notre Dame coach being there now. Um, yeah, it does. It just fits perfectly. But I don't. Obviously Nelson's not there for you, so I imagine you're you have us taking Edmonds. Yeah, because Chicago. I think, I think it's between him or Nelson. For it's you. between those two, there, or or they're trading down. Um, then Forty Niners, I go Edmonds, and I imagine you might have gone Smith. Yeah, Roquan Smith to the Niners. Linebackers. Matt Miller rates him as his number one inside linebacker. And yeah, to I, his team. I can agree. Uh, they could also go corner. I think Ward is an option there, and Mink is still yep. on the board, and to. Which is on my next pick. I think Oakland do not pass on Minka because John Gruden oh, is no. going to want that sort of freak athlete on his defense. Yeah, and ever since Woodson retired, that secondary's not really been the same. It took until week, <coughs> I think it were eleven last year to even get an interception. So yeah, to add somebody like crazy. Fitzpatrick, obviously which makes perfect put sense. Your Dolphins next, and I mm. find it hard to see you taking a QB. Yeah, I think even. And you Even don't have Rosen the ammo to come up. There. You really don't have the ammo to come up, so... No. We don't have anything worth... Not like the Bills with two first-rounders, where you can see them... Yeah. And defensive doing it. defensive tackle, or linebacker for you, I think. Yeah. And on the board, it's... For me, it'll be Vita Vea or Roquan Smith. But Smith's gone yeah, for well, you, so I'm For me, Edmonds Vea. and Smith have gone, and I feel like they'd be the two guys that we'd be after. And with Sue leaving... I think Vita Vea does make sense, but at the same rate, if Sue couldn't sort the defense out last year, yeah, I think bringing in a rookie in his position to suddenly change it well, might the, not work. But the clear standout in that position is Vea, so yeah, he can't argue with how good he is, but whether he can do it, like regalvanize our defense where Sue couldn't, who knows? Yeah. So like as we've gone through each pick after about. Free, it just seems like it could be anyone and everyone. Like, expect oh, yeah. expect madness to happen on Thursday night because anyone could go anywhere by the sounds of it. Yeah, and in comparison yeah, to other drafts, this is really a very different one. Yeah, because you've got like James to the Buccaneers seems like a sure thing, but even then, they might change the mind. But yeah, as last year, like, you if, could kind of see like the Bears were coming up for a quarterback and it were between two of them. You had everybody thought the Panthers would take McCaffrey 
after the Jaguars were pretty much set on Farnet for weeks. Because there's nothing to say. The Cardinals could come up, and the Bills could come up. Your Dolphins could yeah. come up as well, and then you're saying all six, five to six QBs could be gone in the top ten, and then in the, in the first ten, all these other talents are just going to fall because of it. And that makes the start of the second round interesting <coughs> if that happens, because you've got so many people. Then if you have six quarterbacks going in the top ten, everybody drops a couple yeah, of places. I at feel least. like the bridge between the back end of the first to the start of the second is going to be exactly the same. There's not going to be a big difference. Yeah, and obviously you're still going to be getting starters up to like pick fifteen in round two. With the quarterbacks this year, I, if I'm sat in one of those offices, I'm probably kicking myself not looking at, looking at last year's. There was not as many doubts on so many players. You got Trubisky, Watson, Mahomes, and we'll say Kaiser yeah. as well. The first three I would take above anyone in this draft. I feel like I'd have Watson and Trubisky above. Anybody this year, Mahomes, I don't know, and Kaiser. Maybe coming out of college, you were good, but I don't know if it was just the Browns that really with Mahomes. With so many other quarterbacks. That, the thing that makes me more confident is Kansas are going into the season fully on him after one yeah. year, and to have that much trust in him, it must mean he's got something. Yeah, they've shown eyes. he's shown something to him that means. That they believe that, that of the two QBs in this draft, I'm only taking Darnold or Mayfield. I think I I just don't want to trust the others. Yeah, yeah, I can understand why. And in the rest of the draft, do you have any other predictions? Well, I mean, you've got the Patriots that potentially could take a quarterback, but other than that, after losing. Well, the Patriots, no. the Patriots now have two picks in the first round, and you've yeah. got Bill Belichick, who is probably still angry at losing Garoppolo. You but can, I won't be surprised if you can stay re- it. You can replace Solder and get your QB of the future, I feel, in, in with those two picks. Yeah. But it won't be surprising to me if they either stayed at 23, I think it's 23, and then moved out of the late pick by trading back or trading, you know, like, like say, like say the top six quarterbacks go, you know, top ten. Yeah. And then you've got somebody in round two that thinks, oh, I want to get back into the first, you know, to take so-and-so that's dropped. Yeah. I think you could still have the Patriots sitting in the high pick and take somebody like a Jackson or maybe a Rudolph. I think them, I think Mason Rudolph to the Patriots... And Colton Miller sounds very predictable, yeah. and it just sounds like that could actually happen. Yeah, but then you've got—I mean, there's the Ravens that still need wide receiver up because I think they just ignored it for as long as they possibly could. Yeah, and now realizes that Willie Sneed may not be the. the and you've obviously the got the Cardinals who are going into the season with two very poor options yeah. at QB. But I think for the Cardinals, they have a flipper coin and think, right, it's quarterback or it's wide receiver. I think they have to decide. But if they don't trade up, they're looking likely to have to take a risk on Lamar Jackson. I wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. Although saying that, I think Jackson's better than Allen. I'd rather take Jackson over Allen. Maybe. And Allen's going to go. You also, on, got, you also got Jackson, who's kind of Mike Vick V2. But you've also yeah. got that running back coming back from injury. And if he's fit, then you don't really need that side of the game. So yeah. maybe they, they maybe they they could risk an Allen 
or even take a punt, a reach on like Rudolph, for example. Yeah, it would be a reach, though. I think it's a big gamble. You've also, you've also got a lot of teams who will definitely take a quarterback at some point, but I doubt in the first, say, the Chargers, the Saints, the Steelers. And yeah. I'll even put the Giants in that. They might get a third one in the later rounds. Yeah, I think we don't see much after round one, with the exception of like Rudolph maybe sneaking in at end of round one, or early round two to like round three onwards. Like the rest yeah. of the quarterbacks are going. So I'm going to um, bring us onto our betting corner this week, and we're going to transition nicely into the NFL draft with our guest Owen Dawson. What do you fancy betting wise? Uh, well, I have I have three ones that I've backed that have a, a somewhat decent chance. I have Derwin James to be the first defensive back taken. Which I agree I with. Think, that looks incredible yeah. value if the Bucks are very in on him and if his um, draft stock is rising 5-2. to two, It just seems like incredible value to go above Minka. Yeah. I don't I see... It's I well see, worth... I see both of those safeties going before any corner in this draft. I think the first corner comes off the board at the Packers at 14. Yeah, Denzel Ward. So if you can get odds at Packers taking a corner, I'm probably Ward. That would be a bet. Well, the Packers have to take secondary. Yeah. They're in real bother back there. What are your other but, two? Uh, I have Edmonds to be drafted by the Bears four to one. Yeah. Which seems a bit daft at four to one, but I feel like if Nelson's not on the board when it gets down to you. Yeah. I think it's between Edmonds or somebody like a ward. But even then I think a linebacker outranks you need for a cornerback. Yeah. And the final one? Is uh Shaquem Griffin to be taken in the third round. It's more of a long shot type. Yeah. Which, I yeah, don't I'll, see anybody reaching on him in the second round just off his combine alone. But you <coughs> could also go undrafted. That's the thing. You've so the yeah, team's I, got I think to he really could have done if he him. hadn't have been invited to the combine. Yeah. Because nobody knew like he were unknown quantity then. But now, having proven himself. Yeah. I think third round's not too bad. At seven to two. I have six bets. You've mentioned one of them with James first defensive back. Yeah. That's my like that's my little outsider. It's only five to two, but there. Uh, um my best bet is Bradley Chubb, top five at nine to ten. That is absolutely ridiculous because he does not make it past the Broncos. Yeah. I think that someone's got that wrong somewhere. Um I'm gonna go over two point five wide receivers. For three wide receivers to be taken in the first round it's evens and to me. There are teams I mean, you've that got need, three top ones. Yeah, there are teams so. that need wide receivers, and for me, there's a list of six, I think, that could go in the first, and for me that's Ridley, Sutton, Kirk, Moore, Washington and Chark. Yeah. And for just three teams to go on that, it just seems silly to have that line at 2.5. Yeah, because you can't, you can't see, Ridley definitely doesn't end up second round. Sutton, I doubt it. And then, it's just... <laughs> just makes too much sense. I've also, <laughs> yeah, I've also gone under 4.5 corners in the first, so need five or less. And to me, this corner group looks weak. 
I don't, I don't think there's many first round talents. I don't, I, yeah, it's weak in the sense at, at the front of the front of the draft, but it's quite yeah. it's quite deep. So people can wait for you like Kevin Tolvers and Jacksons, etc. Yeah. For five to go in the first round, I think it's unlikely. Teams seem more needy in the back ends of offensive line and defensive line rather yeah. than corners. I mean, you've only really got the Packers and the Browns, but the Browns won't go there, I don't think. No. The Packers need secondary help. And other than that, you've got teams that need offensive players. Yeah, you've got questions over Redskins, but they look like they'll take guys, so this, yeah. they can take a corner at any point. The Bears are not going to reach on a corner at that early, I hope. If they do, I'll be very angry, but it's very <laughs> unlikely. I don't like that, yeah. Uh, my next bet is Colton Miller to go in the first round at 8 to 11. This is a crazy price. He's regarded as some of the best offensive tackle in the draft. Yeah, it just seems pretty much nailed on. And him and Patriots seems like the best fit with Solder going. Yeah. And then my final. Actually, I'll, I'll throw in another one after this. I'll go Edmonds top 10 instead of just the Bears. Yeah. He doesn't make it past the 49ers at 9. And then even then, Oakland needed linebacker as well. And at four to five, it's silly, silly, yeah. silly price. And then I'll throw in a long shot. We said we're sh- we're we are certain that the order is Donald Barkley Mayfield. Yeah. Give me them three at eleven to four because I don't see anything else happening. Yeah. I mean, you could maybe swap Mayfield with Rosen or Allen, but I just feel like Mayfield's going to the Jets. Yeah, I'd say I've, I've backed Donald, Barkley, Allen, but since then it would appear that Mayfield has charged into thirds and yeah. has taken a seat and moving. So it's been good having you on. Well, thank you for having me. Be sure to tune into the NFL Draft this week, or we'll definitely tune in for the first day. It's going to be very crazy. It sure promises to be. I'm sure we'll have you on the pod during the NFL season this year. Well, I'm more than happy to come back if you love me. <laughs> thank you very much. Well, thank you. So, do you have any fancies for boxing this weekend? Um, not for the boxing, I don't. There's uh, the card in Brooklyn, the Jacobs card. There's nothing really of good value that I'm, I'm quite solidly... Um, quite solidly confident on and I'm not really going to go for the value pick yeah. uh, I'm not going to go with that again after the Khan episode last weekend where it was tipped up by the value so um, no there's nothing for the boxing this anything weekend anything else fancy you any other sport at all yeah we've got the Punchestown festival moment in the horse racing yeah halfway through that we are um, one of my favourite horses been waiting all week for it to race um, on Friday at half past five wonderful Sam Crow is um, out there at now already at 11 to 10 um, to pick up the win you know significantly bar one horse maybe a weaker field even that even then I, I'd say and even then it's, it's not it's weak. not in the same class I think it's a, there's even Melon's a very very good horse but I believe that Sam Crow's destined for greatness I think it's going to yeah. go on to be a wonder horse um, I think 11 to 10 
I think that's buying money to be honest. That's just just, just the horse. Just the horse for this week. No boxing. Um, the week after there should be something. Not for this, uh, nothing else for not nothing else for the boxing. So just Sam Crow favourite at five thirty Punchestown. Friday. Friday. Yeah. Um, there's two tournaments in, on, in golf as there always is. Um, one of them is a tag team PUJ event. Yep. I'm not interested. It's very hard to judge that tournament so I'm going to swerve that and give you some extras from the European tour that I really like I have a good broad group of players here <coughs> so um, I'll go in order of odds lowest to highest I'm going to go with Ollison again and I tipped him week one and yep. he kind of let us down but um, this course suits him even more and like I said back in week one he, he, he's had glimpses of form um, one thing I do like is, while well, everyone else was in Morocco recently, he was already in Asia doing yeah. uh, a promotion event in Japan. So he's got to go over to China. Um, you can get 35 to 1 on him, which I think is very good. Yep. Next will be George Campillo, in probably the best form out of any of my picks this time. He's since the back end of last year and early this year. He's gone 46th, 5th, 27th, 4th, 2nd, missed cut, 14th, 12th. Good practice. form then. But yeah. That second was in Asia earlier this year. And now he's going back to Asia in final form. Yep. You can get him at 40 to 1. Then obviously I mentioned Van Royen briefly earlier in the golf section. He's had an outstanding start. Yeah. He's had a second, he's had a 20th, a 10th, a 21st, and a 7th last week. Probably one of the best ball strikers on tour at the moment, and you can get him at 45 to 1. Good value. Um, I do like to throw in some picks that are based purely on stats, and one that has decent form and fits in with all the stats is Thomas Detry. 66 to 1, a very talented Belgian. Um, he ranks well in greens and regulation, and birdie or better. So you're hitting the greens, you're getting your chances for birdies. Par 4 scoring, so par 72, so par 4 scoring is key round here. And he's a very, very good putter. Um, he's done well in Asia before, and he had a 19th last week to ease him back into the schedule. So I feel like he could go really well round here. Um, the track is quite, uh, it's quite good for bombers, so people that can thrash it down there. One big bomber is Ryan Fox when you're a big bomber and you hit a silly amount of green regulations you're going to have plenty yeah. of chances to make bir uh, birdies hits it long and straight he was third earlier in Asia this year 12, 12 last week in Morocco this course just fits him in at 66 to 1 that's absurd Yeah. Uh, he was in much better form than some spells last season he was going off sub 30 so I'll take him and then my long shot is Alvaro Quiros. I said to you the other day that I don't care as long as he's back of all, I'm going to be on him. And then my eye nearly fell out when I saw him at 100 to 1. Came second last week. Um, he's a bomber as well. He can hit it a mile. He's changed his coach and that seems to be working. Last year he won um, on horrible form. Mm -hmm. This year he's in fantastic form, better form. In between a few missed cuts, he's had a second and nineteenth, hundred to one, at seven places. Just seems logical. Yeah, that's all I have. 
that's all we've got time for this week. Review us on iTunes, where we're now up. Um, like us, tweet us, share us and comment on Facebook, Sport After Dark, Twitter, Sport After Dark, SoundCloud, where you'll be listening from, Sport After Dark, same name everywhere. Um, we'll be back on Wednesday. This has been Sport After Dark, Episode 3. See you next week.